You are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach. And although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And today, if you are wondering if you can really become the authority, if you can make your brand such that you stand out above everybody else who does what you do, then you do not want to miss one moment of today's episode. I want to welcome Stephen Fry. He's the adorable founder and the chief brand scientist at Quantum Branding. He helps brands become authentic and memorable category leaders through the power of brand science, and that is trademarked. Brand science is the core of what fuels a successful brand's growth, sales, and marketing. He's passionate about help grow Sorry, about helping growing purpose-driven brands to get to the next level, disrupt their market, and leverage the power of brand science to become the industry authority they're meant and made to be. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Well, hello, everyone. Kim, thank you for having me, and thank you, listeners and viewers, for joining us today. I'm really excited to be here and be with you, and can't wait to see where this conversation goes and how you can take your brand to the next level. So I'm really excited. Well, I was already really enjoying our pre-conversation before we got on here today. So I'm pretty sure that the episode itself is going to be wonderful. So I always start off with the obvious questions. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask it to you there, Stephen. Can you make your brand the authority? Well, that's a really great question. And the answer is actually yes, but you have to know what do you mean by authority? And so a good answer to that question was, would be, do you want to be the number one widget or number one brand in your category? You want to be a conceptual authority. And I'll share an example. Is Harley Davidson the number one motorcycle company in the world? Or are they the number one American-made motorcycle company for women and men ages 35 to 55 that provides a sense of freedom and expression at a time in their life that that feels more valuable to express? Which would you rather be? Do you want to do you want to have the sales numbers or do you want to have the emotional and visceral and engaging identity and hook and connection with your brand to be the best that you can be? And at the end of the day, there's no such thing as being number one in the category. Even 95% of Coke drinkers will also drink Pepsi at the same time. All people in a category have shared customers. And there's no such thing as my customers, your customers. So at the end of the day, you would rather be a conceptual brand authority. And the answer is, with brand science, we can explore and engage how to make that happen for you and your brand. 
So I was just thinking about what you said there, and a couple things popped into mind. So first of all, I think the answer to Harley Davidson is yes and yes. If you're not a motorcycle person and you live in North America, you know, if you think of a motorcycle, you think of Harley Davidson. So that's if you're not a motorcycle person. Now, if you are a motorcycle person, then it depends on what you're looking for. But you are correct. You know, conceptually, Harley Davidson is, you know, is about that freedom to ride the road and, you know, be yourself. So I think in both cases, it does apply. It depends whether you like motorcycles or not. Now, and, secondly, Coke ooh, Pepsi, there's more. So I'll give you a quick story here. <laughs> Recently moved from Ontario, Canada to Nova Scotia, Canada. Yeah. Specifically the Cape Breton Island. What I did not realize when we moved here was that Cape Breton Island is the Canadian home of Pepsi. Interesting. So when we went into restaurants, and I mean, you know, like I'll drink Pepsi if I have to. I don't mind it. But given the choice, I would choose Coke over Pepsi. Right. Now, I just, would I pick them in a blind taste test? I don't know. I just happen to like the taste of Coke slightly better than Pepsi. So we move here and we realize that there's very few places that serve Coke. Sure. So now we've been drinking a whole lot more Pepsi. There you go. That's what's available. Sure. So what's interesting is you talked about really two principles with both of those examples. Uh, brand science addresses is mental availability and physical availability. So mm. the more memories and just to kind of sum up what brand science is, brand science is the study of the evidence-based metrics of the science of how we think and experience the world around us in relating mm. to commerce. So marketing is simply any activity. Don't get into technology or modalities. Marketing is simply any activity that says, hey, do business with me. Back in the day, there was a blacksmith sign hanging over the door. Nowadays, we have VR, you know, in, in augmented reality. It doesn't matter what the technology, all those are marketing. And then brand branding is the mnemonic devices within that experience that says, hey, do business with me that you remember. And there's basically mm -hmm. a science to how you remember things. They basically have to be more distinct and then more famous. And that's the rubric. If anybody likes to draw rubrics, there's two arrows, distinct and famous. And then the, the goal is to increase that mental availability. So if you're in North America, you obviously think of Harley Davidson. But as you were describing, you know, you may be aware of Coke, but PepsiCo has more physical distribution. So therefore, physical availability is higher. So the likelihood that people are going to use that product actually increases based on the physical distribution. And what we find with brand science is when we look at it, it's a both and. It's not either or. We want to increase people's memories of us. And then we also want to have, you know, PepsiCo available everywhere that we want to want people to have PepsiCo. So it's it's a both and of mental availability and physical availability. And what we found is that the number one secret to grow your brand is by having more distinctive brand assets, word, shape, color, sound, story, photography, illustrations, character, and and character can be everything from celebrities to, you know, a little, you know, somebody like Orange Bird here, you know, a little mascot. Mm -hmm. So character can be, you know, a character. So the more memories we have of 
a brand that is more unique and famous, the more likelihood we're going to think of them first and go activate and engage that brand. Hmm. Okay. So I really thought that you were going to touch on emotion because mm. my thought was, was that a lot of times emotion has a, a lot to do with making something memorable. Sure. You know, that's a really, really great point. So when I'm trying to like, not like go into a million different places at once, but you just opened a beautiful can of worm science. So what's interesting is when we think about marketing and we're talking about our own marketing, we often take a very poised, educated approach. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, you have your own brand or your business, you're a coach, consultant, author, executive leader. If you're a senior level C-suite person, if you work with a brand on any level, you've probably had conversations about emotional and functional benefits. You've also talked about USP, unique service position. But here's the interesting thing. When people make decisions, we're not actually talking or engaging or creating experiences for rational thinkers. We're Mm -hmm. actually trying to connect with distracted emotional observers. And so uh, Mm -hmm. there's a book, if you're familiar with Nobel Prize winning people. There's one by Daniel Kahneman. He's a famous psychologist. And he has a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And the little, you know, one sentence explanation is we have part of our brain 95% of the time that is on autopilot, recording the world all around us, taking observation, making observations, and then kind of making memories as we go. And that's like why you can like talk on the phone, drive the car, listen to music, type an email. You can do multiple things at once. And after a while, your brain wants to conserve energy. So it makes shortcuts. So you may have the same experience as I may have, but I may remember a different thing based on the shortcuts that I've learned. Then there's another Mm -hmm. part of your brain that is like super cognitive. It's like, if I asked you what 15 times 32 is, and you're like, I don't don't know what that is. And you do long division, however you learned, or multiplication, be like, oh, that's 480. But you'd used all your resources. This is not the part of your brain that marketing works with. Marketing works with the everyday human who is going about their life, trying to just navigate the world around them, remembering that red means stop when it comes to a stop sign. And then when they go in their fridge, there's things that are white that's that's in the fridge, that's in the door, that's a condiment, that's a vegetable, that's in a jar. And you're like, wait a second, I had to navigate uh, horseradish. So that's called semiotics. And so there's this way that our brain is sensing the word around us, recording it, truncating it. And so people are emotionally viewing the world triggered by things and we have to distract them. And there's actually a really famous study, a guy dressed up in a gorilla suit and walked through a video of people bouncing the ball. And they asked the people to count how many times the people in white shirts bounced the ball. And none of them noted the guy in the gorilla suit. And it's the same. They did it again in a supermarket and people are on autopilot. So if people are going to notice us, we have to disrupt. And this is a kind thing. This is not a malicious thing. This is just like, Mm -hmm. hey, do business with me. So this is where color and shape, maybe sounds, ads. This is where all those different forms of communication come in because we want to get their attention. Because if we don't get their attention, nobody's going to notice us. And unseen is unsold. 
So if nobody's heard about yeah. you or seen you, they can't get your brand. They can't work with you. They're never going to get into your funnel. And so done is really the new perfect here. It's better to say something and it be bad than nothing at all and it be perfect. You know, when you're, when you're talking about that, I talk a lot about visibility when we talk about authority marketing. And, you know, one of the things that's like, you want to be like cheers when you open the door and everyone goes, because everyone knows your name. We're going to take a quick stop here. Audience, it's that time in the show again. I would love for you to listen to this short ad on the Create and Scale method to write and publish books that converts readers into clients and helps you to scale your business. Writing and publishing a book that converts readers into clients and scales your business is hard, but it doesn't have to be. Get my free checklist at bit.ly forward slash create and scale that will show you what you need to do to have your book become a well-converting lead generating tool. Welcome back. Steven, this has been so cool so far. I do want to, we're going to, we've got three more segments to do, so I'm going to shift gears here. I would love to hear a little bit about your story, maybe just for, we'll do a truncated version of your story today, because I know you've got some other things you want to teach and train, and we want to talk about your book as well. So share a little bit about, you know, how did you come to be the chief brand scientist at Quantum Branding? Absolutely. So I moved to Nashville to get into music publishing and instead I got into advertising. And what's interesting is when you're an art and music kid, there's a central tendency for your parents to say, don't go into art and music. You'll never make money. And then what do we all do? We all go into music. And so that's kind of my my back way in to use art. And so I love working in the field that I do. But what's interesting is there's actually a stronger connection for me more than just being in the art room growing up and really being my safe place. A few years ago, I discovered that I was neurodiverse on the autism spectrum. And for me, that helped really bring a lot of things together, understanding that I have SPD, sensory processing disorder, understanding why certain environments are are more helpful or healthful for me to operate in. And it really all came together when I understood, wait a second, I have a higher sensory experience. And there's many other neurodiverse people that do. I'm not saying I'm unique. I'm just like a lot of other folks. But for me, I learned that I had a trait that made the world more filled with curiosity and wonder. And so I'd worked at a couple different agencies and at the end of 2007, you know, the economy shifted here in Nashville and I decided to start my own agency and I've never looked back. And I found a book by Alina Wheeler, who just recently passed. Uh, she was an informal mentor of mine and it's called Designing Brand Identity. And that gave me really the starting blocks to say, oh my gosh, here's this big, beautiful world of branding, but then begged the question of why. And so I just began exploring not just what is branding, but why is branding work? How does it work? Mm -hmm. What are the sciences? And so that's been something that I've been charting along the course and discovering folks like Dr. Byron Sharp and Jenny Romaniuk at Ehrenberg Base Institute and University of South Australia and the work they do there and having some clients uh, from there that I've worked with as well who are familiar with that. And so expanding my view in my world and then sharing that with the people that I work with. So no longer was I just creating brand identities I was doing intense research to say, here's why we know this brand identity will work. Here's the science of how to make this brand work. And here's how we evaluate your brand 
in, in creating a richness and depth that was missing in the conversations. And so instead of a lot of cool kids on the back of the bus saying what they think marketing is, and at the end of the day, they don't go home with you when, you know, and they don't get in trouble when you curse or talk about the birds and the bees to your parents in the wrong way. You know, so those folks on the back of the bus were just a different conversation. And here's a more authoritative conversation. Here's one that's rich mm -hmm. in an age appropriate language, regardless of where kind of like learning the birds and the bees. If you found out about that on the back of the bus, I'm sorry. I wish there was a better way for you to learn. But what if somebody came to you in an age and stage appropriate way and shared you, here's how to view this and understand it in a way that is safe and low risk and, and helpful and expands your knowledge so that when you're ready, you can take the steps that you need in your business to, to take your brand to the next level. And so that's what I find that brand science does. Brand science creates that authoritative, those metrics Here's the exact things we're looking at. It's not woo-woo. I definitely love the tie-in of emotions. But once you realize that emotions are a pre-programmed cognitive response that confirms your bias. So if I'm depressed and I don't want to get out of bed, my body makes me feel depressed because I don't want to get out of bed. It's actually like mind affects body affects mind. And so we want to get rid of those destructive cycles with marketing. And so... That's kind of been my journey is starting quantum branding. And back in 2004, you know, quantum was not a word used. Now everything's quantum and quantum this and quantum that. And so it's a pretty neat thing to see that I was on the right path of understanding you are defined by the energy you give off. And there's a lot more to the science of that than just on, on based marketing theory. Wow. Uh yeah, and you unpacked a lot there. I'm I'm not even sure where, where <laughs> I'm going to pick from there. <laughs> I think we'll just leave that for now because I do want to make sure that we give time for the other two segments. So I know you've come prepared to talk more about brand science. So what I, I would love for you to share. So, you know, if, if our audience of, you know, consultants, professional speakers and coaches, if they're listening to this, what are some practical things that they can take home and just start to do themselves just to help to start that, improve their own branding? Absolutely. So I'm just going to give you one really, really easy starting point. We talked about the term distinctive brand assets. I don't know if that's a new term. For most people, it is. You may have heard that as brand identity. Some mm -hmm. people may call that, oh, this is my brand or my brand identity. And what we're meaning is this is a collection of the word, you know, your brand mark or your logo, you may call it that, your tagline, all the assets you have. And so here's the interesting thing. If we know that we want more distinct, famous memories, we can always make stuff more famous, but we have to check if it's distinct. And so if we want more of those, we need to just start and count and see how many we have. And so there's a great tool. We're going to put it in the show notes. You can check out the bit.ly. It's just bit.ly forward slash brand science checklist. And we'll share it in the notes to make it easy for you. Again, that's Bitly Brand Science Checklist. And that's going to give you my number one tool. And this tool is meant to help you just basically walk you through. Do you have a color? Do you have an accent color? And we're not getting into the specifics of how unique or famous they are just yet. We have to just start by counting them out. We have to start by counting them. And so when we look at it, it looks almost like Bob Ross and his painter's palette. 
And so every time we do marketing, we want to see how many more assets do we have to use to paint the most prettiest picture in our marketing. So, oh, I'll take a word. Oh, I'll take a picture. I'll take. And so the goal is the more palette stuff we have in our palette, the better chance there is we're going to have increased memories. So when you do the brand science checklist, it's going to walk you through with a series of questions. And then all you have to do is add them up. And the goal is for your brand to have at least 15 to 20. And that's actually pretty easy to do. You're like, oh, Stephen, I don't have 15 to 20. I can know it. Well, do you use a distinctive font on your website? That's just you. You're the only one that probably looks at that. If you see an ad for Wendy's, yes, we see we see the Wendy's brand mark, but then you go to the menu and the menu has a specific typeface. It's called Nutraface. And so you see that typeface mm-hmm. and it makes you think of them. If you if you went to McDonald's in the, the 90s, they used Bodega. And then that became commonplace. The same thing with Gotham. Gotham was all the rage during you know the Obama campaign. And then it kind of trickled down into the business world. And well, now Gotham isn't distinct anymore. It's commonplace. So there's always a thing happening where people refresh their assets. So the goal mm-hmm. is we're going to count those up see how many you have. And at the end, you're going to count and see, and it's going to give you a guide and say, here's what to do next. You should probably look at creating some more. You should probably look at testing these. You should probably look at bolstering these ones and seeing how effective they are in your category. So there's there's some action steps right at the end for you to evaluate what to do. And here's the cool thing. It doesn't matter how big or small you are. If you were a billion dollar brand worth 33 billion, we would do the same thing with the pet care brand as we would do a service provider, as we would do for an author, as we would do for Tony Robbins or a motivational coach or speaker. We would go through the same process regardless of the age and stage and size of your business. This is the first step is to count how many assets you have and go from there so that you can know how do I increase my mental availability in my world. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It was funny. Um, one of the colors that I chose, I don't remember what year it was, but it was one of the colors of the year. I think it's actually the blue and authority. Uh, it was the color of the year. And when I saw it, I'm like, that color perfectly represents what I want to convey. And so mm. that that became that became one of the colors that is used in, you know, the author to authority and a lot of my branding, my assets. It all has that color in it cuz I when I looked at it, I just knew it was perfect. Now, it doesn't mean it can't be changed or whatever, but I was I was looking through a lot of colors. I was trying to think, you know, what represents me, what represents my brand, what represents the company, you know, what what do I want to convey in that color? You know, I was doing color research to try and figure out, you know, like what category of color I wanted to kind of focus in on. And I realized that blue was what I really wanted to use to convey. But then when I saw this one blue, I'm like... That is so perfect. I love it. And and you know what? Over the years, I've had a lot of um, positive feedback on those colors and on on the logo. Now, will I ever change it? Probably at some point. But I I just it was like it all kind of fell together, and I'm like, this felt good. 
Absolutely. And and what's great is, is when we look at color, like you said, you looked at your category and you looked at what was being used. The, the, the challenge is, is, is all colors don't live in a universal world. Each color lives in its own little world. So red actually means espresso. And we're just kind of in a little vacuum where 98% of brands, coffee brands in the world are a form or shade of red. It's that Green Mountain Coffee and Starbucks created, you know, an opposite palette. And the same thing, when we look at yellow, yellow doesn't mean happy. Yellow means stained teeth in the dental category. So there's always cultural contextualization. There's always cultural contextualization of what colors mean. And so when we look in the professional, in the trade fiction space, there's a certain style of cover. There's a certain style. If you look at young adult reader books right now, and you'll notice that there's kind of this like cut paper, like with Heartstopper and many of these, you know, red, white, and blue, royal blue, and some of these other books, you see there's a style of cover that's being used. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the ball diamond. That's kind of, oh, this is where they're hitting the ball. And so so this is a principle that you just dis- discussed. You talked about a thing called, without even knowing it, it's called category congruency or design congruency. It's like a baseball diamond. So in your professional spectrum of your category, there's things that your customers expect to get to first base. And then there's the world that you work in and the industry and what they do. So if you came out as like bright magenta pink and neon green, maybe you may disenf- maybe you may disenfranchise your category a little bit because that doesn't really fit. So the goal may be it's not that we don't not want blue. We may pair that blue with another secondary color that adds personality and is distinct, but we have that blue in our palette that's rooted in oh yeah, that is a distinct color blue and this category is predominantly blue and and corporate and trade fiction. Yeah, blue lends itself to that category. So then what are other ways? Because the goal is, it's like a baseball diamond. We want to hit a home run. We see this all the time. Sometimes brands are actually near knockoffs of each other. We go to the the toilet paper aisle and we see, you know, it's either real tall or real wide. It's in clear packaging. There's a scrolly thing. There's a soft baby animal or something in the middle. It's a duck or a bear. And then there's bad math in the corner. I still don't know, know who the mathematicians are putting that together. The same thing with Oreos. There's always the economy ones right next to it and another blue thing. And so sometimes we find some of these colors are actually become trade dress and say, oh yeah, chocolate sandwich cookie, or oh, Splenda, Splenda is yellow, Stevia is green. And so some of these become trade norms. And so the goal is to navigate this space and say, oh, how do I look at these trade norms, but I find options that are distinct to me. And it sounds like that's exactly what you were describing is how do I navigate this space and find one that, that, that really confirms and affirm the direction that I want to take my business. Wow, we, we could go into that further, but we got only got a few minutes left. So we're going to switch gears you're, you're again. You're teasing me with these segments. I love showing up with segments. Uh, the the last few episodes, I'm like, I'm like, man, it almost needs to be a 45 minute hour show. But I know the audience likes it in around the 30, 35 minutes. So we we will honor and respect that. But Stephen, you are working on a book. So the first thing I want you to do is tell us, now I, I know the name's not set yet, but what is the current name of the book and what is the topic? Sure. So the tentative name, tentative title of the book is called Brandometry. It's the the art, science, and metrics of 
effective branding. And that's the tentative title. And it basically is breaking down all the principles that we've talked about today, the things that I've been doing for the past 20 years, examples and things from other brands like, you know, Oreo cookies and the cookie example. Uh, there's another cookie example I give and toilet paper and some of these things and breaking down and bringing in some of the sciences and making them, you know, very palatable and understandable. Mm -hmm. And what's what I find is there's a lot of there's a lot of brand science that people understand a nugget of. Like we understand gravity, even if we can't draw the equation to describe the applied force of an object when we drop it. And it's the same thing with marketing. There's a lot of things that you know that you are doing right. And if you knew how to do them more effectively, you could do it faster. You could get success faster. There's no reason for anybody to, you know, wear a ball and chain or a rain jacket during a marathon unless they want to. And that brings them joy. If you understand that to be in a marathon, you need to run fast. You may want to get rid of any of the things that impede you. You may want to oh. learn what is the trail? Where is, where is the finish line? Is this a 5k? Is this cross country? What is your end destination? And so when we understand these effective tools of, of brand science, and that's just the tiny little science of branding within the world of marketing science, when we understand this little niche, it brings to life and draws to color all the, the ways that we can be more effective in making things easier for you, your team, for your campaigns, for you to get rid of maybe some of the activities that are not bringing you joy and are not bringing you success because you're just doing them like I need to be doing social media. I need to be doing YouTube. I need to, I should be doing this. And all of a sudden, my therapist friend always says, should, we're shooting on ourselves with our marketing. And my goal is to, what if I could give you clarity that's not based on what some cool kids on the back of the bus about, you know, violet bovines or, you know, the Mr. Miyagi framework. What if we could talk about the actual frameworks and the actual metrics? So that's the book. Yay. Well, I'm going to ask the question. Your book's not done yet. So we'll just ask the first two parts of the question. But there's a question I yeah. ask every author or potential author who comes on the show. Are you ready, Stephen? I got a plushie here. Oh, what, what's the question going to be? <laughs> what has been the good, bad, and the ugly so far about writing and editing this book? So the good, the good has been to see how much I already know and that the authority is already in me and that this is putting to words what I know and I talk about every day on podcasts and articles and getting it out and making it come to life. It's like these ideas are living in the void in the ether and all of a sudden they're coming out. So that's been the good. I don't say the bad, but I would say the challenge is, is finding the right publisher and the right model uh, based on traditional versus hybrid. And there's advantages and pros and cons for both. And personally, I'm leaning towards a hybrid model only because the hybrid way of my business. You know, I'm speaking at conferences. I'm doing trainings with brands. You know, obviously it's great to give people your book. And so sometimes there's, you know, different cuts and how those are handled and royalties and well, wait, I want my book to be in an airport. So they have to give me an advance or else it can't be in the airport. So there's all those things that's kind of been the, the bad or the challenge. Now I'd say the ugly is me getting in my own way, uh, not being 
not being dedicated or committed or disciplined and being like, oh yes, I need to write a thousand words today, or I need to write. And I actually think I had to relieve myself of the pressure of putting expectations on word counts and saying like, just sit down and write. Like, what do you know about this? Or for me, it's like, you know, the beaver does certain activities that a beaver does and he also needs to be in the wetlands. So what are the ways that I work? So I've actually found that dictation really is helpful for me and I don't have to edit it just yet. I'm just trying to get it out and relieving yeah. myself from the structural structural editing and flow as I'm writing. That's been the ugly. I don't need to have everything orchestrated on the shelves and outlined an outline is helpful, but when I'm writing in free flow, I really need to get out of my way and just let that flow. And we can we can organize and judge things later. So that's kind of been the good, the bad, and the ugly. I love it, Stephen. You touched on many things that you know a lot of our audience deals with as well. You've touched on a lot of the things, you know. I own RTI Publishing and we've helped, well, probably close to 300 now, but at least well over 200 people, you know, become authors that use their books to build their business. And, you know, the things that you talked about, a lot of them talked about too. And one thing that's interesting is about finding the way that works for you. When we first started, I had a very structured system. And then after I realized the system wasn't working for everyone. So now we Ooh. actually have a fluid system that works with our clients. And some of the, the first couple chapters we do with them, it's about figuring out which style works best for them. And then we go within their, their flow of genius to help them, you know, produce the best book possible. So I love it. Okay. We've got a minute and a half. So You've already given us your brand science checklist. So that's bit.ly forward slash brand science checklist. You have 60 seconds for a final thought. And how can people connect with you on social media? Absolutely. You can check out my link tree that's in my, it's going to be in the show notes as well. And it's simply just link.tree. Stephen Fry will put that in there. And there you can check out more about quantum branding, more about brand science. You can watch my award-winning 10-minute Speech. You can find out more about the services we do at Quantum Branding, and you can even find out about the Brandpreneur program. And that's a revolutionary 10-week intensive that helps purpose-driven brand leaders create actionable plans to propel you forward towards industry authority using brand science. And there's multiple levels of that, whether it's do-it-yourself, done with us, or the full shebang. There's several levels to that program. The goal is to help you move forward faster and become an energized brand. Love it. Thank you so much, Stephen. It has been a joy and a pleasure having you on the show today. Audience, you know what's coming next. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to go back to episode 449, How to Approach Branding Like a CEO. And uh, you know the routine, everyone. I've you know what? I keep meaning to have this conversation with my daughter. I'm not sure where on the screen she puts the thumbnail. So if you're watching on YouTube, <laughs> the thumbnail is here somewhere. Click on it. Click, like, and subscribe. Click. <laughs> and if you're watching, uh, if you're listening on your podcast app, you are going to be scanning back probably close to 30 episodes. I love doing these episodes and I love having you listen. Thanks so much for being a part of the Author to Authority podcast, and we will see you on the very next episode. Bye now. You've been listening to the Author to Authority podcast. 
the extraordinary word ninja, Tim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.